Hi, it's Dr. Adrian, host of the Health Bite podcast. It's hard to believe that it's been a whole year since we've started. As a physician that promotes behaviors for health and well-being, I'm always fascinated by the practices that are available to us to live well and be well. To that end, I started the Health Bite podcast, where every week I bring on experts and thought leaders to discuss small, actionable steps we can take towards better health in predictable and some not-so-predictable ways. In our inaugurative episode, I interviewed Rachel Sumer, CEO and founder of Swipe Out Hunger, a nonprofit organization that's helping feed college students all over the world and has served over 1.7 million meals. In this episode, we discuss how food is a vehicle to connect and to communicate our values and purpose. Welcome back to Health Bite. Today we are super excited to be here with uh, entrepreneur and leader Rachel Sumer. Thank you so much for having me. I am super excited to be here with you. I'm always fascinated by this concept of food being both sustenance, how we fuel our bodies, but also as a concept of soul food, how we fuel our souls and how food is so much wrapped in our traditions, in our memories. Food is how we communicate who we are to people. And it's also how we see ourselves. A lot of my early experiences growing up in homes where there's just so much food and it was implied that you were going to take this food home, take this love home with you. I also spoke with Justin Weber, founder of Crow Moon Kitchen and author of the WFPB, Whole Food Plant-Based Cookbook. I spoke with Justin about how the life-changing role of becoming a father inspired him to live a healthier life and lose 200 pounds. We have the perfect guest today, Justin Weber. I'd love to hear what kind of prompted your change and what happened to you over the last five years. So I was pretty close to 400 pounds. I was wearing a five extra large or six extra large shirt. When my son was born, there was really like two moments that kind of prompted me to reflect a little bit more genuinely than I ever have in the past. I wasn't deceived into thinking that I was healthy. I mean, I knew (laughs) that there was a health problem that I needed to address, but I just never really wanted to admit that to myself, even though like everybody around me was saying, you need to do something. I mean, doctors even were warning me that I was probably not going to live to see 40 based on like how much weight I was gaining and how rapidly I was getting weight, blood pressure, cholesterol, like everything in it was saying you are unhealthy. But it was the first time seeing my son thinking about a future and knowing that how I currently was and my size and how I felt, how difficult it was to move, even getting out of bed and I would sleep 12 to 14 hours a day. Just knowing that the future that I wanted as a father, being able to go on bike rides and walks and hikes and feeling comfortable playing with my son in public, like where I currently was, there wasn't a way for me to have that future envisioned. And then the second part of it was seeing pictures of myself holding him in the hospital. And like you think, okay, this should be a really proud moment. You know, it's a new father. I was really excited to have a child. But then seeing those pictures of myself, I was embarrassed. Like I didn't like them. And sadly, 
I think there's only two pictures of me in the hospital holding my son that exist. I didn't like looking at myself because it kind of forced me to reflect on I'm beyond the unhealthy stage at this point. It is now just that the morbidly obese. I also spoke with fitness influencer Joan McDonald, who showed us that it is never too late to start your fitness journey. At the age of 70, she changed her lifestyle, lost more than 60 pounds, and improved her health. She is now using Instagram as a platform to inspire her 1.2 million followers to do the same. Today, I am so pleased to invite a very special guest. I have with me today, Joan McDonald. So welcome. I'm so happy to have you. I hope I can lend a bit of light to the subject. Yeah, I had been on medications for some years. Apparently, my daughter wasn't aware of it. I thought I was very upfront with it. And they were going to prescribe for me some more medication for my blood pressure. I've had kidney failure and we were trying to keep that stabilized. Because of gaining the weight, that interfered with my blood pressure. I know I needed to lose weight. I knew it would help with my blood pressure, but I wasn't getting anywhere with what I was doing. Like Mm -hmm. I was going to the gym, but I didn't have a really, really good structure of workouts. I figured that food was one of the main things. Anyway, when my daughter and her husband were visiting at Christmas time, and she was very upset with how I looked and how I sounded. And I complained because I had problems going up and down the stairs. I wasn't able to go up and down the way I normally used to. So anyway, she sat me down and she said a few things and I'm not going to repeat them. But the the long and the short of it was you have to take charge and I'm offering you a way out. You can join my YHH group. You'll have support and I'll give you the exercises to do. I'll tell you what food you can have. You'll have to learn all this stuff. (laughs) It wasn't so much to get skinny. It was to get healthier so that I could breathe better. I could participate in stuff much more easily. And I hated my picture being taken. And I did not realize that I was that big. I've talked to ice cream scientist Maya Warren. I am so excited today to have Dr. Maya, who is an ice cream doctor. And let me tell you, I've met a lot of doctors in my life, and I don't think anything is as cool as this, a doctor of ice cream. So welcome, Dr. Maya. I'm so glad to have you. Thank you, Dr. Adrian. Thank you so much for having me. And I will agree, it is one of the coolest science and sweetest sciences that you can ever, I guess, get your taste buds on. <laughs> First of all, how did you even discover this job? Because I think... I always knew I wanted to be a doctor, but if someone had told me I could be a doctor of ice cream, I may have planned out differently my path. So how did you stumble into this amazing field? So I'm actually a chemist by trade. So I have a Bachelor's of Arts in Chemistry from Carleton College in Northfield, Minnesota. That's where I really fell in love with the science of chemistry itself. And I was like, you know, one day I was over at my best friend's house when I was in college and we were sitting on her couch and we were watching the Food Network and the show Unwrapped, where they go in and literally unwrap how food is made. And this yep. particular episode, they went into a flavor chemistry lab. And when you go into the flavor lab, there were literally all these glass vials with clear liquid inside. And I was like, huh, like, what are they going to do? They literally use 
different compounds and flavors, mix them all together to be able to create soda that tastes like different parts of your Thanksgiving meal. So you had like green bean casserole flavored soda. You had oh turkey. And, yeah, I know you had mashed potato and gravy flavored soda. You had cranberry sauce flavored soda. And I know it's like, oh my gosh, world, like who would want to drink that? But I was so intrigued. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm a chemist. Like I could do that. And so I actually ended up interning at Malto Mill Cereal Company, which is a really big popular cereal company in the Midwest. Intern there is a bike ride up from Carleton College. And there is when I really fell in love with food science. I wasn't so keen on grain science per se. I wasn't really into wheat and barley and oats and all of that. I know it's important. I know it's critical, but that just wasn't making my eyes light up. And so during that internship, I remember asking myself, you know, Maya, what do you love? Like you like food science, but what do you, what food could you study that you love? And I was like, oh my gosh. And you already know the answer. The answer, of course, is cream. So I told myself when I decided that I wanted to become an expert in all things ice cream and frozen aerated desserts in general, I was going to do what I love and love what I do for the rest of my life. And if you ask me, I don't really have a job. I have a lifestyle. My lifestyle involves any everything ice cream and again it's close cousins like gelato frozen yogurt sorbet sherbet um, frozen custard you name it it's what I know it's what I love it's what I study and I just fell in love with it it's literally literally makes my heart flutter celebrity trainer Jay Cardiello today I am very excited to have a special guest with us Jay Cardiello Jay is a strength and conditioning specialist to many celebrities and professional athletes Jay and I have had the good fortune of speaking together in the past. He's a dynamic speaker and has a lot of knowledge to share. So welcome. Welcome back, Jay. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. I always say food is the habit. It's not the root cause. Just like drugs are a habit, they're not the root cause. Alcohol is a habit. It's not the root cause. Back in 2013, I was very fortunate. I was asked by a company called Exercises Medicine they closely worked with the development of silver sneakers. Many people know about that with uh, exercise for people who are 55 and older. So with regard to that, they asked me to develop a way that we can disrupt the pattern of obesity and reduce the chronic conditions associated with obesity. So what I did is I developed a 12-week platform focusing on one behavioral change per week. We had about 2,500 people go through it. We had a 97% success rate and a 91% success rate for sustainable outcomes at year one. Uh, we won a Digital Health Accelerator Award for it and implemented it to the Mount Sinai Hospital Systems. So if we really want to put it off in one sentence, it's we go after the root cause of why people do what they do. And at that point, you know, we always talk about New Year's resolutions. You can't move forward without resolving the past. And I'm not saying to live in the past but it's resolving those issues. People who have post-traumatic stress, people who, who have dealt with um, sexual abuse, people who have dealt with things that growing up that later in life come out. And what they do is they fill their voids, sex, drugs, alcohol, depression. We attack those things that people have hidden in their subconscious. And talked intuitive cooking with Claire Matern. I'm so happy today to be here with Claire Matern. Claire is a chef, a food writer who specializes in intuitive cooking, and she's going to talk to us a little bit about her practice and practices that we can engage in for better health and wellness. Thank you so much for having me. So I like to start with, you know, how people kind of entered this arena of health and wellness. How did you 
get interested in this area and come to do what you're doing right now? So I grew up in the food industry. So it's definitely been a lifelong practice for me. But what I realized in my mid to late 20s was when seeing and hearing all the problems that friends of mine had with feeling overwhelmed with cooking, not even knowing how to go shopping, not knowing what to buy, how to buy things, hearing stories of, you know, I bought spinach because it's supposed to be good for you, but then I didn't know what to do with it and it went bad. It's like, okay, well, first of all, you could have done anything with that. So for me growing up in food and knowing how to approach it in that intuitive way, like using your senses, made me realize that I guess it isn't the way that a lot of people are able to experience food and cooking. So that was the real driver for me of, okay, let's break this down. Let's start thinking about how cooking and buying food really becomes part of your everyday lifestyle and how that becomes part of, you know, health and wellness in the sense that it's your mental health, your physical health, you're fully integrated with your life. I mean, just the idea that People complain about the fact that they have to cook. That's always been such a thing for me of how do we change that inner dialogue with ourselves about how we approach food, which is instead of complaining that it's a chore that you have to do, it's changing it to being something that we get to celebrate that we get to do it. We're nourishing ourselves. Finally, I have spoken with a whole host of female docs on everything from a mindful running practice with Dr. Michelle Quirk. Today, I am really excited to have with me Dr. Michelle Quirk. Dr. Quirk is a pediatrician. Uh, She is also uh, the mindful marathon coach and has brought mindfulness and running to her practice, helping busy professionals really bring fitness and running into their lives. So thank you, Michelle, for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here and chat with you. I was not always a runner. I was not really an athlete as a kid. And I was the kid who was struggling, you know, to get through the mile run and huffing and puffing. And I tried to run many, many times and I quit a lot of times (laughs) before I finally stuck with it. And I just always was telling myself, you know, you're not a runner. You're not very good at this. It's too hard. And so I didn't do it for a very, very long period of time. What changed for me was um, after my residency, this was about eight years ago, I had a lot going on, um, new job, new, you know, moved to a new location, newly married, studying for the pediatric boards. And my dad was diagnosed with cancer and had a really rough, um, rough course and passed away uh, pretty soon after the diagnosis. Mm. And it was at that point that I really decided that something needed to change. Like I was really not exercising a whole heck of a lot, was eating okay, but um, with everything going on, I was just so overwhelmed and stressed with work and, and everything going on in my family. And that was when I started running. I decided I was going to run this local 5k, like once and for all, (laughs) I'm signing up for the race. I had always wanted to do one, but I just never got myself there. And I just started at like five minutes, a couple times a week. I started (laughs) just a tiny bit. And I noticed that while I was out there for my five or 10 minutes, that my mind was able to clear a little bit and all of those 
thoughts and everything else just kind of melted away. And so I think that's why I finally stuck with it. I found that it was so helpful just to keep me focused and centered and five minutes turned into 10, turned into 15, turned into 30. And now here we are running marathons, you know, eight years later, but <laughs> to optimizing sleep with Dr. Nishi Bhopal. I'm very excited to introduce to you our guest today, Dr. Nishi Bhopal. Dr. Nishi is an integrative psychiatrist and sleep specialist. She's also the founder of Interbalance, which is an online educational program that focuses on sleep and mental wellness. So thank you, Dr. Nishi, for being here and welcome. Thank you, Dr. Adrian, for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here today. There is so much more interest in sleep these days. And, you know, we've all heard that term, we'll sleep when we're dead. But, you know, we're learning more and more that sleep is so crucial to productivity and efficiency and health and well-being and mood and so many things. And so, yes, there are different stages to sleep. Most people have heard about REM sleep, which is rapid eye movement sleep. But there's actually multiple stages of sleep that we go in and out of throughout the night. And so this pattern of these different sleep stages is called our sleep architecture. And so our sleep does follow that specific architecture throughout the night. And when we're not going through all of those stages, or if we have imbalances in those stages, it affects our sleep quality. So one of the best markers of sleep quality is that we actually go through this specific pattern. We have good sleep architecture and the sleep is in the right proportions. So as far as the different stages, REM sleep take, makes up about 25% of our sleep during the night. Then we also have what is called deep sleep. People often think that REM sleep is deep sleep, but there's yes. actually a totally separate stage of what we call non-REM stage three, which is considered deep sleep. And that is about 20% of our sleep architecture. Then most of the night actually is in what we call stage two sleep, which is non-REM stage two. And that makes up about 50% of our sleep architecture. And so I'm kind of going backwards here. So we have REM sleep, deep sleep, stage two, and then we have stage one, which is the lightest stage of sleep. And that's where we transition from wakefulness to sleep. And that's about 5% of our sleep. REM sleep is really important for learning, for consolidation of memories. It's also really important for learning motor skills. So if you are like working on your golf swing or you're learning how to play an instrument or you're learning something that involves a lot of physical movement, that information and that memory is encoded in your brain during your REM sleep. REM sleep is also really important for creativity and problem solving. And so, you know, it's really interesting because when you look at children's sleep patterns, they sleep a lot, right? So we know that babies need a lot of sleep, children need a lot of sleep, and a lot, they get a lot more REM sleep than we do as adults. And one of the reasons for that is they're taking in so much information during the day that they have to make sense of and consolidate because everything's new for them. So that's why they get so much REM sleep. But even as adults, that REM sleep is super important for us to restore our brain, encode that information and um, improve our creativity and our motor skills. You cannot explore your full potential without restorative sleep. And you're really doing yourself a disservice if you're not making sleep a priority for your health and well-being, but also your productivity. And, you know, I work with a lot of really busy professionals. I'm here in the Bay Area. So a lot of the people that I see in my practice are executives or they work in Silicon Valley or, you know, they're very high achievers and they have long work hours and there's a lot that they need to get done in a day. And so what I emphasize to them is that if you want to be more efficient, if you want to be on your A game, 
it's really important that you make sleep a priority because there's so much growth and restoration and cognitive enhancement that happens during sleep. And mitigating trauma with Dr. Kimia Saraf. I am happy to have with me a very special guest, Dr. Kimia Saraf. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. I'm delighted to meet you, first of all, and I'm so excited for our conversation today. I coach very specifically and have for, uh, I'm going into my sixth year now, with healthcare professionals, mostly doctors, who describe themselves as experiencing high levels or extreme burnout. That's how I got started. And one of the things that I noticed very, very early on, because I've worked in the field of trauma for a long time as well, was that the symptomatology that was showing up, for lack of a better term, the experience of the burnout was, I felt, inappropriate. It seemed uh, there was a lot of self-blaming going on. Physicians were often coming in and saying, you know, I have bad work-life balance. And how often do you hear that? I simply can't get myself organized enough. Um, Or they were being referred to me because um, they weren't meeting a certain set of metrics that they needed to meet. And the more that I worked in these circles, the more I began noticing that the experiences that were being relayed to me sounded much more like what I would describe as primary, secondary, or vicarious trauma. And as we began talking about that, some really common themes emerged. One is that we as healthcare providers often don't recognize what is happening to us. It is the absolute classic frog in the pot um, metaphor that we have been working for years and years and years, decades, uh, as the temperature on the pot slowly gets turned up. And there's absolutely no recognition that uh, we're being boiled alive. That's a problem. The second problem is that I was hearing a lot of self-blame for the situation. And when you are uh, misdescribing or misdiagnosing what is happening to you, it's very difficult to get into choice, which is coaches is where we always know that we want folks to end up to help step into choice around how you're going to manage that. And so the more of this work I did, the more a clear paradigm began to sort of reveal itself to me. And the more I began to think about the ways that not only do trauma, does trauma impact us as physicians, but also the ways in which the trauma-informed approach was very well suited to working with physicians who were experiencing a lot of um, secondary or vicarious trauma. Interestingly enough, I had a um, I had a really wonderful call earlier this week. It was supposed to be a very short 20-minute call. It turned into two hours with an executive coach who works with leaders of Fortune 500 companies. And the reason for the call was uh, we had recently been in a coach um, group together. Um, and I brought up this concept of, of the ways in which trauma, and, and now we are experiencing trauma on a multitude of level. And in a moment, we'll, we'll sort of talk about what trauma is and, and the multitude of ways in which it's showing up right now. But, you know, coaching has long stayed back from this idea of trauma being an arena in which we can have conversation. Um, That's always been, those strong feelings have always been something that we wanted to relegate to the world of therapy, psychotherapy. And 
the truth of the matter is there's tremendous overlap in the Venn diagram done well, done well. And that's a key, right? And so I had a really deep conversation with this person because it is showing up at this point, the symptoms of trauma are showing up in top executives everywhere. And how could it not? We are in a time of national crisis. We are in a time of global crisis. And our most resilient people, whether they be in corporate America or in health court or in education, have shouldered the burden of this, shouldered the burden of keeping things moving without the necessary scaffolded support (laughs) to do so unharmed. And so there is harm that is happening all over the place. And again, I think that our most resilient, our, our folks with the highest amount of capacity are now beginning to run a little dry. Talk about, I talk about uh, resiliency reservoirs a lot. And those reservoirs are starting to dry up, even with those who have huge capacity, which brings me back to a real pain point with physicians. You know, burnout only started sort of showing up in the literature maybe five years ago, six years ago, and really began gaining some traction three years ago. But it's been brewing for a very, very, very long time. I spoke with Dr. Kelly Kasperson about sexual health. Today, I am really excited to have with us Dr. Kasperson. Welcome, Dr. Kelly. Thanks for having me. About three years ago, I was taking care of a patient of mine, and she was a bladder cancer survivor. And she was crying in my office because she had a wonderful marriage, but wasn't intimate at all, felt very guilty about it, felt very broken about it, and I had no idea how to help her. And I'm like, there has to be stuff out there. What, where, what is there to help people who just feel so incredibly broken? And the more I started learning and talking to my patients about it, the more that just kept coming up, like they feel broken, they feel broken. And I would tell them facts that I was learning about female sexual response and, and how things work. And I'm, I just kept saying, you're not broken. You're not broken. Ayurvedic Healing with Dr. Siri Shand. Today, I'm really pleased to have with us a very special practitioner, Dr. Siri Chand Khalsa. I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks for being here with me. I am so excited to be here. I am really excited to be given the opportunity because, again, I feel that the time that we're in right now, the traditional allopathic pathway of managing stress isn't going to quite deliver us through the stressors that people are experiencing and broadening our understanding to something beyond just the physical and the algorithmic decisions that we were given through our internal medicine training and and corollary, I just don't think it's going to be enough to bridge us through the amount of stress and tension and perhaps even illness that people are experiencing right now. When I was in undergraduate at the University of Virginia, I developed a difficult situation with my health. I was pre-med. I'd come from a STEM high school that was very high pressure. I really almost had like a nervous breakdown in my undergraduate years, but it didn't show up mentally. It showed up physically, which is very interesting because classically we think about that degree of dysfunction being something that someone would show mentally or emotionally. But for me, I had that steely wasp, uh, like preserve all function at all costs. And my body took the 
journey upon itself to show that difficulty. And when that happened, interestingly enough, I stopped being able to digest food. I was pretty debilitated from it. And I went to the student health clinic, like I thought this should be the way we go. And the student health practitioner said, let me prescribe you phenobarbital. I mean, it's absurd, even in an allopathic paradigm. Just for people to know is primarily prescribed for seizure disorders. Right. And there was certainly no evidence of seizure. I, I don't even understand it, but I think it it was sort of what I call a happy accident or a happy event. And by that, I mean, I really left there thinking this is really wrong. There's no way that's the solution to what's caused this amount of imbalance in my body. So I went to a local metaphysical bookstore where I knew there were these great books on health and healing. And I happened to pull out a book on Ayurveda and it was um, self-healing with Ayurveda. And you could say, you know, even at that point, I was a bit curious because I thought, well, surely there should be some self-healing. It shouldn't just be an external force imposed on my body. There ought to be some way I can right this ship. And um, Ayurveda is basically a several thousands year old science that developed in the Indian continent as a as their primary healing system. And Ayurveda translates literally as the science of life. And healing the busy brain with Dr. Romy Mushak. I'm so happy today to have with us Dr. Romy. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, Adrian, thank you so much. It's great to join you in the Health Bites community today. I'm a, a non clinical physician now, uh, after 14 years of practicing neurology, and I founded my own company with the idea of how are we going to change the paradigm around brain and mental wellness in the workspace so that we were avoiding the sick care and the stress-related illnesses in the healthcare space. And before the pandemic, I was kind of this odd consultant or speaker until people heard my message on stage. And now the responsibility, the corporate responsibility of discussing brain and mental wellness has been highlighted and to the forefront and that you can't run a company today without really being mindful of how well your employees are feeling and functioning. Here's the thing that people come to me for, and and I joke about it, and and this is where my sass and soul come out, is you're going to bring a brain doctor on haired health bites. And what nobody wants sitting right now in our current pandemic, where people are either stuck working from home or risking their lives as essential workers at the front line, we're way beyond what I call that bougie brain health advice. Eat your berries, breathe throughout the day. Like we are so far beyond that. The, when we talk about the word cognition, that encompasses your ability to focus, your ability to modulate your moods, your ability to, you know, uh, deal with intermediate and short-term memory. And, uh, you know, this is greatly impacted because of the stress, the loss of routine, the PTSD, the grief, the trauma. I, I mean, you name it, right? Layer upon layer. And so let's have what I call Dr. Romy real talk about how we're addressing brain and mental health. And, and just so you know, Adrian, and I know you and I are in the same space is, you know, integrative medicine is the, the science of wellness and everything you and I do is is backed up by research and the latest medical evidence. And in addition, I consider psychiatry and neurology on one spectrum. You know, we're all boarded under one house because often when you have a structural problem in the brain, uh, 
a neurological disease, there's always a concomitant functional psychiatric component to it and vice versa. The more we learn about psychiatric symptoms like anxiety and depression, the more we realize there's a structural problem in the brain. Finally, I spoke prevention and mindset with gynecologist and influencer, Dr. Shiva Gafrani. Today, I am so happy to have with me Dr. Shiva Gafrani. I'm so happy that you're here, Shiva. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I realized once I became a doctor that what I loved is connecting with patients and engaging with patients, much more than kind of healing them and the science of being a doctor, which I think is why a lot of people go into it, which I applaud and respect. What I really learned I got out of it was engaging. And ironically, I would joke every year when something happened to me physically and through my health that I kept saying, okay, God, you're just helping me relate to my patients even more because I had a whole journey with multiple miscarriages and trouble with my pregnancies. And I had ovarian cancer four years ago. And as you know, we spoke about, I've really dealt with my weight my entire life, really. I'm 50. And since I was eight years old, I can remember thinking about weight every single day and I still just struggle with it. So all of that, I think really helped me again, engage with my patients, not just as the doctor, but as a woman who they understood really went through it and could speak to it from both sides. So that's what, um, that's what really kind of drives me to connect with them and help decrease their anxiety. And the Instagram model has been great because it's such an easy way to connect with people across the country and they actually feel um, connected and emotionally attached to you without you having to really know them in depth right? They can really reach out and, and we can help each other as women. And so many more conversations. So on this anniversary, I encourage you to dip into our archives and be inspired as I have by these wonderful and soulful conversations. You can find Health Bite on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else you podcast. Wishing you a happy and healthy week ahead. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and are inspired to take a small bite towards your own health and wellness. If you love what you heard, please subscribe on iTunes and Spotify or anywhere else you podcast and share us. If you're looking for more inspo, you can find lots of content and sign up for my newsletter at dellnutrition.com. There you can learn more about me and my curated line of supplements and functional protein bars. Thank you for listening and I look forward to seeing you again next week.